Welcome to another Adult Bible Study Guide, Exploring the Book of Job, written by Clifford Goldstein, edited for audio and produced by the Ambassador Group, narrated by Byron Phillips and Lynette Newhart. Exploration 2. The Great Controversy And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. Even the Lord that hath chosen Jerusalem rebuke thee. Is not this a brand plucked out of the fire? Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 2 Scattered across the pages of both the Old Testament and the New Testament lie many references and allusions to an unrelenting war between God and Satan, between good and evil, on both cosmic and personal levels. Comparing these passages, we inlay their individual insights to form a mosaic window of truth through which we can perceive the total message of Scripture with greater clarity than otherwise. That quotation is from the Handbook of Seventh-day Adventist Theology, page 969. The Great Controversy theme forms a template that can help us better understand the total message of the Bible, especially the plan of salvation. Though the theme is much more apparent in the New Testament, it is found in the Old Testament too. And perhaps nowhere in the Old Testament are we given a clearer glimpse of Satan and this conflict and how they can powerfully affect life here than in the book of Job. In this exploration, we'll look at the broader reality behind the immediate reality that's the main focus of Job. And though our lives and stories are different from Job's, we have one thing in common. Like Job, we are all involved in this controversy. The book of Job begins on a relatively positive note. From a worldly perspective, at least, we see a man blessed in every way. Let's consider Job chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Two questions. What do the texts reveal about the kind of life that Job lived? What were the positive aspects of Job's existence? Now the first four verses of Job chapter 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed seven thousand sheep, three thousand camels, five hundred yoke of oxen, and five hundred female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, 
and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. Job certainly seems to have it all, including a righteous character. The word translated in Job chapter 1 verse 1 as blameless, New International Version, comes from a word that can mean complete or full of integrity. The word for upright means straight, which can give the idea of walking on a straight path. In short, the book opens with an almost Eden-like scene depicting a wealthy man of faithfulness and integrity who has it all. Nevertheless, he has it all in a fallen world. We will now hear Job chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. Another question. What do these verses reveal about the reality of the fallen world that Job inhabits? And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. Amid the festivities of his sons and daughters, he trembled lest his children should displease God. As a faithful priest of the household, he offered sacrifices for them individually. He knew the offensive character of sin, and the thought that his children might forget the divine claims led him to God as an intercessor in their behalf. You can find those words written in the Ellen G. White comments of the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 3, page 1140. Clearly, Job had it good, about as good as it can get here. As Eden-like as the scene is presented, a man with a full life, big family, a great name, and many possessions— it's still a life lived on a fallen planet steeped in sin. And so, as Job will soon discover, it comes with all the dangers that existence here brings. What are the good things in your life right now? How can you learn to be always in an attitude of thankfulness for them? Cosmic Conflict The book of Job begins on earth, in a place of peace and tranquility. However, by the sixth verse of the first chapter, the venue changes. It instantly shifts to an entirely different aspect of reality, one that is not seen by humans unless through divine revelation. And interestingly enough, this other aspect of reality, heaven, doesn't seem to be as tranquil and peaceful as things are on earth, at least in what is first presented here. Let's consider Job chapter 1, verses 6-12. through 12. 
Though we will study these verses in more detail later in these explorations, what is happening here? How does it contrast to what we have just seen happening with Job on earth? Now, verses 6 through 12 from the English Standard Version. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. There is so much to explore in these few verses. They reveal aspects of our universe that all our space telescopes don't detect and that human science doesn't even begin to fathom. What's fascinating, though, is that they also reveal a cosmic conflict. It's not a calm, peaceful, and tranquil conversation that we access in this passage. God talks about Job with, to use a human idea, a sense of pride, like a father proud of his son. Satan, in contrast, mocks what God says about Job. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Job chapter 1 and verse 9, the New King James Version. One could almost hear a sneering sarcasm, a mocking tone in what Satan says to God. Though the text doesn't explicitly say that this confrontation was in heaven, that's surely where it was. And thus you have this created being, an angel, standing before God in heaven and challenging him to his face before other sons of God. It's hard to imagine someone talking to a worldly leader like that. But here we have a being doing so to God himself. How could this happen? The answer is found in a theme that appears in various places and in different ways all through the Bible. It's called the Great Controversy. And it provides a powerful template to help us understand not just the book of Job, but the entire Bible and its explanation of the whole sad story of sin and suffering on earth. And even more important, 
It helps us better understand just what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross in order to solve the problem of sin and suffering on the earth. Conflict on Earth. The book of Job pulls back a veil and reveals a dimension of existence that our eyes and ears and worldly philosophies could never show us. If anything, these verses should show us just how limited our eyes and ears and worldly philosophies are. And worldly philosophies are when it comes to understanding the big picture. And what these few verses show, too, is a conflict between God and this other being, Satan. And though the controversy is first introduced in the book of Job as taking place in heaven, it quickly shifts to the earth. All through the Bible, we find texts that point to this ongoing conflict, one that involves us as well. How do the next six texts reveal the reality of a conflict being fought here on earth with evil supernatural powers? Genesis chapter 3 and verse 14. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than any animal of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Zechariah chapter 3 and verse 2 And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Even the Lord who now and ever has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a law snatched and rescued from the fire? Matthew chapter 4 And verse 1, Then Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, Be sober, well-balanced and self-disciplined. Be alert and cautious at all times. That enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion fiercely hungry, seeking someone to devour. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8 The one who practices sin, separating himself from God and offending him by acts of disobedience, indifference, or rebellion, is of the devil, and takes his inner character and moral values from him, not God. For the devil has sinned and violated God's law from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil.
and Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, the age-old serpent who is called the devil and Satan, he who continually deceives and seduces the entire inhabited world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. These texts are just a small sampling of numerous texts that point either explicitly or implicitly to a literal devil, a supernatural being with malicious intentions. Though many people view the idea of Satan as a primitive myth, with such clear Bible testimony, we should not fall for this deception. What are ways that, even now, you see the reality of Satan's work in our world? What is your only protection? As a microcosm. The opening scenes of the book of Job show us a few crucial points. First, they reveal the reality of another dimension beyond what, of ourselves, we can now know. A heavenly dimension with heavenly beings other than God. Second, they also show just how interconnected our earthly life here is with the heavenly realm. What happens here on the earth is not disconnected from the heavenly beings in this realm. Third, they reveal a moral conflict in heaven that is indeed connected to what happens here on earth. In short, these opening verses and the ones that follow are a kind of mini-portrayal of the great controversy itself. The verses show one way in which the great controversy, though cosmic in scale, was manifested in the life of one man, Job. And as we will see, the issues involved encompass us all. The book of Job shows Satan in confrontation with God. What it doesn't show is how it first started. How do the following three references from the Amplified Bible, help you get some understanding about the controversy. Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. How you have fallen from heaven, O star of the morning, light bringer, son of the dawn. You have been cut down to the ground, you who have weakened the nations, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the remote parts of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Ezekiel chapter 28, 
verses 12 through 16. Son of man, take up a dirge, funeral poem to be sung for the king of Tyre, and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, You have the full measure of perfection and the finishing touch of completeness, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, and the emerald. And the gold, the workmanship of your settings and your sockets, was in you. They were prepared on the day that you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers and protects, and I placed you there. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire, sparkling jewels. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until unrighteousness and evil were found in you. Through the abundance of your commerce, you were internally filled with lawlessness and violence, and you sinned. Therefore I have cast you out as a profane and unholy thing from the mountain of God. And I have destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. First Timothy chapter 3 and verse 6. And he must not be a new convert, so that he will not behave stupidly and become conceited by appointment to the high office and fall into the same condemnation incurred by the devil for his arrogance and pride. Ellen G. White talked about the law of love as the foundation of God's government. She noted that because God does not want forced obedience, he therefore grants freedom of will to all his moral creatures. However, There was one who perverted the freedom that God had granted to his creatures. Sin originated with him, who next to Christ had been most honored of God and was highest in power and glory among the inhabitants of heaven. Those words, read from her book, Patriarchs and Prophets, pages 34 and 35. She then quoted from the text in Isaiah and Ezekiel to describe the fall of Satan. The crucial concept here is the law of love and the reality of free will. The Bible tells us that Satan became self-exalted and proud because of his own splendor and beauty. Why this happened, we don't know. It must be part of what Second Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 7 calls the mystery of lawlessness. New King James Version. A connection that makes perfect sense when we understand how closely tied God's law is to the foundation of his government. The point is that by the time Satan is introduced in Job, his fall was past, and the controversy it had started was well underway. 
What are some important choices that you are facing right now? And what Bible promises can you claim to ensure that you make the right choices? Answers at the Cross The book of Job brings up many important issues, but many of these same issues do not get answered there. We need the rest of the Bible, and even then, as 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 22 says, we still see through a glass darkly. As we heard in our previous section, for example, The book of Job says nothing about how Satan's rebellion started. Also, it says nothing about how Satan is ultimately defeated in the great controversy. In fact, despite his major role in all that follows, in the book after appearing only twice in Job, once in Job chapter 1, verses 6 through 12, and chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, after that, Satan does not come into view again. He simply vanishes, even though the destruction that he caused remains. The rest of the book doesn't even mention him. Instead, almost all that follows in the book is about God, not Satan. And that makes sense because, in the end, the book of Job is about God and what he is really like. Nevertheless, the Bible leaves us without answers to the question about the defeat of Satan in the great controversy. And central to that defeat is the death of Jesus on the cross. How do the following four texts help explain what Jesus did that will lead to the end of the great controversy? John chapter 12, verses 31 and 32. Now judgment is upon this world. The sentence is being passed. Now the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. And I, if and when I am lifted up from the earth on the cross, will draw all people to myself, Gentiles as well as Jews. Revelation Chapter 12, verses 10 through 12. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom, dominion, reign of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our believing brothers and sisters has been thrown down at last. He who accuses them and keeps bringing charges of sinful behavior against them before our God day and night. And they overcame and conquered him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony. For they did not love their life and renounced their faith even when faced with death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them, in the presence of God. 
Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has come down to you in great wrath, knowing that he has only a short time remaining. Romans chapter 3 and verse 26. It was to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus and rely confidently on him as Savior. And Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14. Therefore, since these his children share in flesh and blood the physical nature of mankind, he himself, in a similar manner, also shared in the same physical nature, but without sin, so that through experiencing death he might make powerless, ineffective, impotent, him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Here are three more verses that we will put together like a puzzle after we hear them from the Amplified Bible. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2 And he, that same Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins, the atoning sacrifice that holds back the wrath of God that otherwise would be directed at us because of our sinful nature, our worldliness, our lifestyle, and not for ours alone, but also for the sins of all believers throughout the whole world. Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 9 For he delivered us and saved us and called us with a holy calling, a calling that leads to a consecrated life, a life set apart, a life of purpose, not because of our works or because of any personal merit. We could do nothing to earn this. But because of his own purpose and grace, his amazing undeserved favor, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus before the world began, eternal ages ago. And Romans chapter 3 and verse 26. It was to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus and rely confidently on him as Savior. It was to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so that he would be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus and rely confidently on him as Savior. Now, Let's hear their key points from the New King James Version, woven into a summary statement. At the cross, Satan was fully exposed to the universe for what he really was, a murderer. Those who knew Jesus when he reigned in heaven must have been astonished to see him be so degraded by Satan's minions. That's the judgment on Satan that Jesus talked about in John chapter 12. At the cross, when the Savior died for the sins of the whole world, only then could heaven proclaim 
that salvation has now come. Here and now the divine promise made before the world began became a reality. Because of his death on our behalf, Christ could be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. That is, at the cross, Jesus refuted the devil's charges that God could not uphold his law, be just and still. At the same time, save those who have broken that law, the justifier. At the Calvary, Satan's doom was assured. The question is, how can you learn to rejoice in what Christ has done for you at the cross, even amid the trials you face in the great controversy now? Let's continue exploring. Here are a few thoughts to ponder. The concept of a struggle, a controversy between good and evil, is found in many cultures. The idea has persisted through the millennia, often expressed through myths. Today, because of the influence of higher criticism and modernist rationalism, Many Christians deny the reality of a literal devil and evil angels. These were, the argument goes, just a primitive culture's symbols for human and natural evil. From our perspective as Adventists, it's hard to imagine how anyone makes sense of the Bible at all without belief in the reality of the devil and his angels. Not all Christians have fallen for the deception that denies the reality of this cosmic conflict between supernatural forces of good and evil. An evangelical scholar named Gregory Boyd, for instance, has written extensively on the reality of the age-long but not eternal battle between God and Satan. In the introduction to his book entitled God at War, after commenting on a few passages in Daniel chapter 10, Boyd wrote, quote, The Bible, from beginning to end, presupposes spiritual beings who exist between humanity and God and whose behavior significantly affects human existence, for better or for worse. Indeed, just such a conception I argue in this work, lies at the center of the biblical worldview. End quote. Again, the writing of Gregory A. Boyd on page 11 of his book entitled God at War, published by InterVarsity Press in 1977, Downers Grove, Illinois. How correct he is. 
Here are a few questions to consider. What other Bible texts talk about Satan and other demonic powers? What is lost if these are interpreted as merely symbols for the dark side of humanity? Niccolo Machiavelli, a Florentine writer of the 16th century, said that it was much better for a rule to be feared by his subjects than to be loved by them. In contrast, Ellen G. White wrote, Even when it was decided that he could no longer remain in heaven, infinite wisdom did not destroy Satan. Since the service of love can alone be acceptable to God, the allegiance of his creatures must rest upon a conviction of his justice and benevolence. The inhabitants of heaven and of other worlds being unprepared to comprehend the nature or consequences of sin, could not then have seen the justice and mercy of God in the destruction of Satan. Had he been immediately blotted from existence, they would have served God from fear rather than from love. That quotation is from Ellen G. White in her book, The Great Controversy. Pages 498 and 499. Why does God want you to serve Him from love and not fear? AmbassadorGroup.org This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.